Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm presents Royally Yours, Episode 2. Oh, my God. Oh. My. God! Becca resisted the urge to twirl as she stood in front of the pub that was underneath her hotel. For one thing, the uneven cobblestones made it more likely she would trip and topple over, even though she was wearing the comfy ballet flats chosen specifically for trekking around London. And for the second, she was a grown person of 25 years and she should not twirl that she had also twirled that morning in her hotel room was not something she would mention should twirling come up. The sign overhead had painted corgis on it, with lettering reading The Hound, and Becca smiled at how perfectly it fit into her fantasies of visiting a London pub. It was a nearly windowless bar that nonetheless looked inviting, probably because Becca knew, she just knew, that there were real British people inside drinking real British beverages. And tomorrow, she would get the chance to see the royal wedding for herself. Well, not in person, maybe. She wasn't exactly on the guest list. But she'd stand among the crowd and wave her novelty flag with the rest of them. But first, she had decided, she would go to a real pub and drink some real British beer. She had something to toast to, after all. Meredith Bast and Prince Richard were getting married, and it was the love story of a lifetime. An American singer, a British prince, and nobody to stand in their way. A real life the crown, only with less heartbreak. Just the thought of it made her sigh from happiness, and made her want to twirl again. Just being here was worth every sacrifice she had made. Every bowl of packaged ramen she'd eaten to save for the trip. When news of the engagement had first come out, she'd known right away that it wouldn't be enough for her to get up at an ungodly hour in her small Minneapolis apartment to watch it. She'd need to be here for it, to experience all of the pomp, circumstance, and love firsthand. That it would be her and thousands and thousands of other people lining the streets was something she would endure gladly. Nobody back home understood her enthusiasm. Her best friend, Nancy, just rolled her eyes every time Becca mentioned the wedding, which meant that Nancy was in perpetual danger of spraining an eye. She chuckled to herself as she opened the door to the pub, blinking as her eyes adjusted to the darkness. It was exceedingly British, so much so that Becca suspected it was a tourist trap for, well, for people like her. It had dark wooden beams overhead, battered chairs set haphazardly around small circular tables, and a long, highly polished bar. TVs were set in the corners of the room and over the bar, each screen showing scrolling news items about the upcoming wedding. There were framed pictures of sweaty men playing soccer, or football, she should say, interspersed with cardboard posters highlighting the pub specials, fish and chips, shepherd's pie, and Plowman's Lunch, whatever that was. She knew she had a goofy grin on her face as she made her way to the bar, hoisting her short self up onto one of the stools, wriggling to get comfortable, and hooking her feet on one of the wooden rungs. What'll it be? The bartender spoke in an accent that differed remarkably from the one she'd heard on the crown. Much rougher. 
he slid a cardboard coaster proclaiming, Take courage, with a rooster striding cockily <laughs> on top of the words in front of her. Um, what do you recommend? God, she sounded so American. You'll want the bitter. A low voice to her right spoke so definitively. She nodded before she even realised she was doing it. What kind you want depends on what kind of beer you like. Becca glanced over to see the man who was speaking, resisting the urge to blink in shock at his appearance. Not that he was hideous. Far from it, in fact. As far from it as a man with a thick beard surrounding a pair of full, expressive lips, lake-blue eyes, and a cocked eyebrow could be. Oh. My. God! Right out of central casting, if the park called for a very handsome, if wild, man in a pub. Bitter? She echoed. She looked down at the coaster. Like, courage bitter? Hmm. The man grunted in agreement. Bitter is where you start with British ale. Oh, she liked his voice. He spoke in an accent filled with rolling R's, making bitter sound as though it went on forever. Just Scottish enough to get her all trembly, but not with so much of a burr she couldn't understand him. Don't confuse the lady, the bartender said to the man grinning. Then to Becca, I'll get you something to ease you into it and you can tell me if you like it. Oh yes, thank you, Becca replied. Not that I don't appreciate the help, she said to Mr. Rolling R beside her, but I usually drink Sam Adams. Do they have that here? The man shook his head. Since he's one of your founding fathers, I'd say likely not. England's still holding a grudge. His tone was dry, as though it were typical for the English to still be angry about a long-gone revolution. Apparently a Scottish rebel. She glanced down quickly to make sure he wasn't wearing a kilt. Of course, she replied, slapping her forehead in acknowledgement. That would be like if we had a Benedict Arnold beer. He let out a surprising chuckle, his eyes crinkling at the corners as he grinned at her. She felt herself color. Not only was she sitting next to a ridiculously handsome Scot, he found her amusing. Here you go, miss, the bartender said as he placed the drink in front of her. And it's my treat, since you're a guest at the hotel, I believe. Yes, I am. Thank you. Becca said, beaming. The beer was a non-threatening golden colour. She picked it up and took a hesitant sip. Oh, it's good! She exclaimed, taking a bigger swallow. It was warm, but somehow that didn't bother her. It was the full British experience, having warm beer. Mr. Rolling R picked up his own glass, filled with a very bitter-looking dark brown liquid, and tapped it against hers. Here's to your vacation. She took another sip. What gave me away? She asked, a wry grin on her face. My accent? My complete ignorance about beer? Or that I'm drinking at 11 o'clock in the morning? The man raised a dark eyebrow, a gleam of humor in his eyes. I'm fairly certain it's your attire. Becca glanced down instinctively snorting as she saw the words Royal Wedding 2018 written across her chest. No, not written, emblazoned, each letter forming part of the Union Jack flag. She looked up to meet his gaze, and then she burst into laughter. He joined her after a few moments. His laugh, unlike hers, sounded rusty, as though he weren't accustomed to laughing. While she, well, she could easily be brought to tears by the lamest of dad jokes. What's your name? She asked as their laughter subsided. I'm Becca. Rebecca. She clarified, sticking her hand out. He took her hand in his and shook it. His strong fingers slid over her skin, and she suppressed a shiver. Mac. Of course your name is Mac, being Scottish and all. I didn't care how you know that he replied, exaggerating his accent. She laughed again, taking a closer look at him. His handsome face was accompanied by strong shoulders, 
a broad, well-muscled chest and a trim waist. But no souvenir gear to indicate he was here for the wedding. Instead, he wore a V-neck sweater over a T-shirt on top of jeans. A pair of aviator sunglasses lay on the bar in front of him. It'd be a shame to hide those gorgeous eyes, she thought before catching herself. She looked into her beer so he wouldn't suspect she was ogling him. So, what are you doing here? She nodded at him. You're lacking the necessary wardrobe for a tourist. Do you live here? He shook his head. No, just in town for business. Business that lets you drink beer in the morning? Because I'd like that kind of job, she said wryly. Librarians usually don't get a drink until after we close out. He chuckled, shaking his head. My business is tomorrow. I got here early. Darn it. And here I thought I could change careers, she said with a smile. Librarians get to read all day, though, don't they? No, I only wish. Devouring stories about handsome princes and their brides. If that were her job, she wouldn't need to take vacations. Wait. Was she living her own real-life romance novel? Sharing a beer with a gruffly charming Scottish rogue, who was also remarkably handsome, and found her funny. She was on vacation, after all. What better time would there be for a fairy tale? Whatever might happen, she was ready for it. I fell in love with libraries when I was young, she continued. Reading all that Austin. Austin he echoed, taking another sip of his beer. Romantic nonsense. Hmm. So I take it you're not following the event tomorrow. She couldn't help her disappointed tone, because thus far he'd seemed just about perfect, even though he needed a shave. He shook his head. And you? Will you be among the screaming crowds? He dipped his chin toward her sweatshirt, his words noticeably judgmental. She bristled. Look, you might not be a fan, but you do have to acknowledge that it's true love. She spoke in a firm voice, sitting up straighter as she spoke. True love? He repeated, raising a skeptical eyebrow. And you don't think all of this, all of this excess isn't doing it up brown? He continued speaking as he registered Becca's obviously confused expression. Sorry, doing it up brown was something my mam used to see. It means overcompensating. Can love ever be overdone? Becca retorted, surprised at how vehement she sounded. He shrugged. I know we're supposed to believe it's one glorious fairy tale, with your American Meredith as Cinderella. I can't help feeling as though Cinderella's other shoe's about to drop. He took a long sip of beer. They might very well believe themselves in love, and God bless them. I just have yet to be persuaded that true love exists. This, he said, gesturing toward her sweatshirt, is just royal hysteria. Poor man, Becca thought pityingly. She had yet to be in love but she knew it was out there. Mr. Hot Scott apparently did not. Had he been in love and been disappointed? It's not just that, she said in a fervent tone. She knew true love was real, and somehow, for some reason, it was important he recognize it too. Meredith is famous in her own right. She just happened to fall in love with a prince. She's not Cinderella at all. She's a, a goddess herself, for goodness sake. A goddess, <laughs> he said, a skeptical look on his face as he took another drink. So she's trading being a goddess to be a princess? He shook his head. Doesn't seem like a good bargain to me. She opened her mouth to argue. Meredith could be both. Women didn't have to choose Mr. Antiquated Notion, but changed her mind, instead asking, Do you have anything to do today? What? He sounded startled. Anything to do. Do you have it? His expression seemed to indicate he was going to refuse her pending offer, which wouldn't be surprising. 
They had just met, after all. His phone buzzed on the bar, and he quickly silenced it, glaring at the screen. He looked up at her, curiosity in his gaze, and she held her breath. I suppose not. His tone was wary. Awesome, she said, raising her fist in the air. I'm going to show you that true love exists. He shook his head in mock disapproval, but he didn't say he'd changed his mind. She took that as a win. She downed the rest of the beer, put the glass firmly on the bar, and rose. This is the most romantic week in the history of London, and I'm going to prove it to you. Mac. Mac resisted the urge to tell her there was no possibility of success, even though he had to admit he admired her earnest enthusiasm, a rarity in London. Most of the people he met here were guarded and cynical, but then so was he. Afghanistan had a way of doing that to people. War and London had that in common, it seemed. He'd arrived in town directly from active service and was pining for the rolling moors of his beautiful Scotland, but even a reclusive hermit had to venture out every so often if duty called. He had come into the hound out of habit, since he and his friend Jack often drank here when Mac was in town. Jack was one of the few who could make Mac laugh, and one of even fewer who knew how it felt to be a soldier. But he'd forgotten Jack was on additional duty because of the wedding. He certainly had not expected to find a joyful American intent on turning him into some true love advocate. Maybe Meredith and Richard did truly love each other, but they were an anomaly, and his own experience had led him to think love was an impossibility for him. Even if this Rebecca person couldn't persuade him to her romantic way of thinking, going on her adventure would allow him to ignore the notice that had just come through in his phone. He'd be able to hide for just a bit longer from his civilian duties, and if he were being honest, he did find her joy refreshing, adorable almost, which he'd never thought about anyone before. He tossed some pounds onto the bar and nodded to her. Lead on, Miss Rebecca. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Becca. Becca's stomach twisted in excitement and, well, more excitement, as she and Mac left the pub. Not only was she going to get to see for herself some of the places she'd read about in Hello! magazine, she was going to get to see them in the company of Mr. Hot Scott. And, bonus, it wasn't raining yet, although the sky was mostly cloudy. She pulled her phone out from her pocket and opened up Google Maps. It's very close, she said, squinting at the screen. She glanced down at his feet, making sure he was wearing sensible shoes. Because, duh, Becca, he was going to be wearing nonsensible shoes? He seemed like the most sensible man on the planet. Where are we going? He asked. You'll see, she replied, looping her arm through his, trying to sound as mysterious as possible. Even though Becca had never been mysterious in her entire life. I'm on vacation, she thought. I can be a woman of mystery. In the company of a handsome, mysterious man. Their steps slowed as they approached the cathedral, clusters of tourists standing open-mouthed as they stared up at the spires and towers. Becca could hear a persistent whoosh of wondrous ooze as the people reacted to the impressive building. Ooh, Becca said herself as they entered the cathedral. It was stunning on the outside, but that splendor paled in comparison to the inside. The ceiling rose up into a dome, with paintings done in gold and ornate decorations studding the ceiling. The floor was checkerboard, and the view down the aisle led to an enormous stained glass window. St. Paul's Cathedral, Max said. I'll admit it's beautiful, but not very romantic. Hold on, Becca replied, taking his hand in hers. Oh, that felt good. He held her hand firmly, as though he were an active participant, not a reluctant observer. 
We'll have to walk up. She tugged him to the stairwell. It was tight, and she could feel the heat of him next to her as they climbed. Or was that heat radiating from her? They emerged into the gallery, a circular hallway with a wide space open in the middle. A few people stood at various edges of the circle, but then a determined old woman with a tour guide flag waved the others on, and Becca and Mac were left alone. She turned to look at him, a knowing smile on her face. She released his hand and waved to the other end of the gallery. Go over there, and let's test it out. What? He looked confused. Don't you know about this place? What happens here? Now he looked wary. Sheesh. What was he expecting anyway? It wasn't as though they were going to pounce on him. No matter how appealing that sounded. It'll make it more fun if you don't know. Now go, over there. She poked his shoulder to get him moving. He shrugged, giving her one last dubious look before striding off. Damn, he had such a determined, confident walk. She was staring at his ass, wasn't she? Oops. When he was directly opposite her at the other end, she spoke in a normal tone of voice. Mac, she said. Why are you afraid of falling in love? She could see his surprised face from across the room. How are you doing that? His words sounded as if he was speaking right into her ear, and she shivered. I'm magic, she replied in a mischievous tone. It must be science, he replied in a grumble. Fine, science. She gave a long exhale. There's all sorts of scientific reasons that the Whispering Gallery allows us to hear each other from across the room. If it were less incredibly boring, I'd explain it to you. But I have to believe there is magic, too. Magic? He grumbled as he began to stride back across the room toward her. Becca straightened, folding her arms over her chest. According to one report, she said in a louder tone, Meredith and Richard came here together, soon after they first met. She was on tour, and he was her designated escort. He was only supposed to show her around the cathedral, and yet, this report says... He ended up asking her out on their first date in the Whispering Gallery. Isn't that romantic? Being able to share secrets and confidences from across the room without technology or anything? It's so simple. Like true love. By the time she finished, he had crossed the room and was so close to her, she had to look up into his beautiful, scowling face. Love isn't simple. She held her breath, but there was a sliver of doubt in his voice. Was it possible she was making progress? She resisted the urge to pump her fist in the air. Or twirl. Let's go to the next spot. I have more to show you. Mac. We should take pictures here, he said as they stepped outside St. Paul's. He still felt odd from hearing her voice whisper in his ear as closely as if he'd been holding her. It had felt so intimate. He'd never experienced that feeling with someone so quickly. And how could she see his fear so clearly? And what's more, call him out on it. Just so you can have some tangible proof you are here. He raised an eyebrow as he regarded her sweatshirt. He didn't want to let her know how the gallery had affected him. Far better to poke fun at her than acknowledge anything special had just occurred. Assuming you're not ashamed to have photographic evidence of that monstrosity. The colour of that thing, he said, shaking his head. It's seriously horrific. Her mouth dropped open. Are you actually saying you don't like my sweatshirt? He nodded, a grin twisting his lips. She was glaring at him in mock outrage, and he broke into a laugh. Again, he did not normally laugh easily, but apparently around her, he did. I am. But that revoltingly loud item of clothing shouldn't deter you from recording some memories. He strode up to a passing couple and held his phone out to them. Do you mind taking our picture? We just got engaged ourselves and we're here for the wedding. What on earth was he doing? He never did anything like this. 
He glanced back at her to see an appreciative smile on her face, as though she were delighting in the pretense. The couple was more than happy to take their pictures, and they did a few different poses, him holding her tight against his chest or turned so they were face to face. How about a kiss, love? The man holding his phone asked. Mac looked down into Becca's face. It took everything in his power not to initiate a kiss, not to assume she'd kiss him back instead of slap him for his impropriety. But while he was lost in her eyes and his thoughts, she rose up to press her mouth against his, and before he could even return the kiss, she'd pulled back, staring at him, her eyes wide in shock, her cheeks as red as her sweatshirt. The moment had broken, and Max suddenly remembered the couple taking their photograph. He tore his eyes from Becca. Thanks, he said, walking forward with his hand outstretched to take the phone back. He could still feel her lips on his mouth. Our families will love them. It's so lovely you found true love, just like the prince and his bride, the woman enthused, meeting Becca's gaze. And you're American, right? she asked. Becca nodded. Just like the prince and his bride, the woman repeated with a happy sigh. Becca. Mac was quiet as Becca led him toward their next stop. They walked along peaceful sidewalks, or pavements as Adele would sing, staring up at the grand houses that might have been home to a duke or two, for all Becca knew. Not that she was thinking about any of that. The only thing she could think about was that she had kissed him. And the look in his eyes had made her think he had wanted to kiss her back. Or had it all been part of their game of pretend? She had not expected a kiss from a handsome Scottish gentleman to be among her list of souvenirs from this trip. But she was extraordinarily pleased with the surprise. Why are you so excited about this anyway? He asked as they strolled. Not in a combative way, but as though he was simply curious. And as though he were not thinking about their kiss. She would follow his lead. Why aren't you? Becca retorted. He took her arm again. She liked how it felt. Her body snug against his side. The souvenir sweatshirt was warm, but he was warmer. As was his mouth. Stop that beggar, she chided herself. I suppose it's because I'm from here, he mused. I've grown up with the royal family, and it's hard to get excited about people you've known about your whole life. They're people just like anyone else. Becca frowned as she considered his words. I suppose so. Some of them, of course. I mean, it's not like I'm excited about the whole extended family. But Meredith and Richard? Their story is so romantic. She's like me. She came from nothing. Granted, She's incredibly beautiful and became a pop star before she became a princess, but if it can happen to her... It's the American dream, then, he replied in an amused tone. To find your own Prince Charming. It's a universal dream, she corrected. She nudged him with her elbow. Haven't you ever been in love, Mac? He didn't reply and she wondered if she was being too intimate too soon. But Becca was forthright about everything. That kiss, however misguided, had proven that. And since this was a one-day dalliance at most, she didn't have to worry about any long-term ramifications. He'd either like her, and they'd have fun for the next few hours, or he wouldn't, and they'd separate, and she'd go twirl through London on her own, I was once, he replied slowly. Have you? Who was she? Did she break your heart, or did you realize she wasn't your true love after all? So many questions, and she didn't want to shake their tenuous connection with too much curiosity. Not when she had more places to show him. Becca shook her head so vigorously, the end of her ponytail whipped up into his face. No, I haven't. She paused before continuing. I will know when it happens. And it will happen. 
I think that's one of the reasons I'm here, actually. To find your prince. It doesn't work that way. They're not necessarily hanging about on corners. Or in bars, she thought, suppressing a smile. No, of course not. I'm not actually thinking I'll find my true love here. She hoped he understood that she was not trying to lure him down the aisle. Unless he wanted to be lured, which would make it another thing entirely. I wanted to be here to soak in the atmosphere. They really are in love. You, you can tell by how they look at each other. They do have that giddy romantic look down, that's for sure, he said. But he sounded mocking. Oh, stop it, she exclaimed, nudging him in the side. You can't tell me you're that cynical. You're overcompensating for something, Mac. He stopped abruptly, turning to look at her. He looked as though she'd caught him off guard. I... And then he stopped, shaking his head. Never mind that. I want to see what you'll be showing me next. Was she getting to him? That joyful feeling creeping through her said she was. Piccadilly Circus was as bustling as she'd read it would be. Overwhelming for a librarian from Minneapolis, certainly. People streamed past them, waving their devices excitedly, or chattering to one another in a variety of languages. Huge billboards advertised products Becca had never heard of, and she felt as though there were a deluge of information being shoved into her brain. But she only had eyes for the statue, which rose up from the center of the square. She nodded toward it. That's what we're here to see. They came to a stop in front of the statue. She had to crane her neck to look up at it. Whereas Mac was so tall, he just had to lift his chin a little bit. Cupid? He asked. A little obvious, don't you think? He was back to using his cynical tone. Antaros, she corrected. Most people think it's Eros, but it's not. It's his twin brother, representative of selfless love. How do you know that? He sounded admiring, and she tried not to look smug. Hours of reading about London and love. My job has its perks. I thought you said you didn't get to read all day. I don't. But there are some spare moments, and I wanted to know everything about where I was going. You mean all the love stuff? He corrected. I did read about how the Whispering Gallery works, so it's not all the love stuff, she pointed out. But that was dull. So yes, the love stuff, as you put it. They watched as a couple went and sat on the base of the statue, holding hands and staring at each other. There's that look, he commented, that giddy romantic look. Becca sighed with happiness. Yes. For just a moment, he tilted his head. I suppose they do look happy. Hmm. Becca agreed. That arrow looks as though it had hurt, though. He squinted up at the statue again. She squeezed his arm. Love hurts, but it's worth it. I suppose so. She drifted into a dreamy silence only to realize a few minutes later that she was holding him captive as she daydreamed. I should let you go, Becca said as they watched the couple walk off. Not just yet, he replied, starting to walk. He looked down at her and smiled, a warm, intimate smile, and she felt as though it had awakened something inside her. Heck, who was she kidding? She'd felt the connection. The spark between them as soon as he'd said bitter, in that accent of his. That he'd immediately discounted her feelings on true love was an impediment to be overcome. But Becca was nothing if not stubborn. And her stubbornness had been validated. It sounded as though he would admit to there being true love in the world, even if he wasn't convinced he would find it for himself. Baby steps, she assured herself. Where are we going? She asked, sounding a little out of breath thanks to the quick pace he was setting. You'll see, he said with a grin and a wink. Oh no, that wink made her knees buckle, just a little, 
and she stumbled, despite her sensible ballet flats. But he was there to steady her, and that made her legs even shakier. This was a perfect day. She couldn't imagine how it could possibly get better. This is the worst day ever. Becca twisted her head to look at who was speaking, wondering if she could help in any way. Her eyes widened as she recognized the man. She'd seen his picture in the coverage of the royal household, though she forgot what his position was. Like in the photo she'd seen, he was wearing a sharp suit. We'll find them, said another man, this one speaking in an American accent. He wore a battered leather jacket and looked about as opposite from the dapper guy as possible. Katrina does shit like this, but I've never known Meredith to be so irresponsible. Did you hear that? Becca said in a hushed voice, poking Mac in the side. Hear what? Mac asked. He spoke quietly too, as if they were sharing secrets. She saw him glance over to the men, his expression darkening for a minute. What those two guys said? Meredith and Katrina? And I know I've seen that suited guy in the background of palace photos. Meredith has gone missing with her maid of honor? That Katrina is a bad influence, she said darkly. Mac turned and began walking away from the two men, tugging her along. I'm sure it's just a misunderstanding. Can you blame the poor woman for wanting to get some alone time? All that scrutiny. He shuddered. I'd hate it. Good thing you're not a royal then, Becca replied with a grin. He smiled back at her. Good thing, he repeated. Come on. We've got somewhere to be. Bond Street? Becca asked as they turned the corner. She glanced up at Mac. Isn't this a super fancy shopping street? He squeezed her arm. Yes, it is a super fancy shopping street. Only in his accent, it sounded much sexier. And she suddenly didn't care that she couldn't afford anything in any of these stores. Ladies dressed in elegant clothing drifted casually down the sidewalk, as if they had nothing more pressing to do than to spend vast amounts of money on elegant clothing. Becca saw a few cars idling at the curb, and her eyes widened as she realized one of them was a Rolls Royce. The accent she heard from the passers-by did sound as though they could have appeared on the crown, and she tugged her sweatshirt down, knowing she looked as out of place here, as they would have been in a Minnesota cornfield. So, what are we doing here? This might be a little out of my budget. She looked down at her sweatshirt again, and then met his eyes, a rueful grin on her face. Not that I wouldn't choose to wear this no matter what I could afford, especially since you seem to like it so much. He smiled. It's my turn to take you somewhere, he said firmly walking purposefully down the street. Becca couldn't help a gasp of surprise as they walked into one of the tiny boutiques. Two ladies, one about her age, the other a few decades older, were both dressed impeccably. They blanched as they saw what she was wearing. Thankfully, their manners took over and they simply asked what she was looking for. When she didn't immediately reply, he did. A gown for the wedding, he said. Becca gasped again. She gave him a questioning look, but he just held his finger up to his mouth to indicate she shouldn't say anything. Let's pretend, he whispered, as the two women walked over to a rack of gowns. She nodded, smiling. Too bad he lived over here, or in Scotland, to be more precise while she would return to Minneapolis in a few days. But she'd take one perfect day. I'm guessing this isn't your usual way of spending your free time, she said. He smiled ruefully. I don't really have much free time, so I don't know how I'd spend it if I had the option. This seems as good as anything. Besides which, I get to see you in some fancy gowns. He raised an eyebrow. And that is something I very much wish to do. 
Oh, she said breathlessly, wishing she were bold enough to walk over there and kiss him again, only with much more passion this time. But this was a lark, a fantasy, a brief interlude in their lives that would be forgotten. Although she knew full well she wouldn't be forgetting it any time soon. I've put a few gowns into the dressing room for you, the older woman said, unable to resist shooting another disapproving look at Becca's clothing. You can wait for your lady over here, sir, Becca heard the younger woman say to Mac as she walked to the dressing room. Your lady. It sounded so elegant. She looked down at her sweatshirt and chuckled. Elegant was not an adjective anyone would apply to her. No wonder the assistants were giving her stink eye. Mac. Mac couldn't answer even to himself what made him give in to the impulse to take her to Bond Street. Just that it seemed a natural part of the day, fulfilling Becca's fantasy of being a princess in search of a prince. Weren't princesses woken by a kiss, but it felt as though she had woken him. He sat in the chair the saleswoman indicated, crossing one leg over the other as he waited. The shop was the most feminine place he had ever set foot in, racks and racks of dresses in the middle of the store and hanging on either wall, audacious hats resting atop mannequin heads beneath swirling writing that read, Finley Nye. The opposite wall held more hats under other designers' names, which were, to his eye, much more attractive options. The walls were painted a delicate pink, very different from the barracks, not to mention the front lines. A three-way mirror was on the far wall, a small platform in front of it, so presumably the shop's customers could get a complete view of how they looked. Mac had never given much thought to how he looked, and certainly not to how he dressed. He spent most of his days in uniform, whether military or his civilian uniform of jeans and a v-neck jumper, but as he looked around the shop, he could see the appeal of choice, of deciding for yourself what image you wanted to present to the world, occasion and funds permitting. Though he had to admit, the jumper, or as Becca would call it, sweater, he was wearing was his favourite. It was heather green, the colour of the meadows near his house. Was it the colour of her eyes, too? Damn it, he hadn't noticed what colour her eyes were. He knew she was blonde, that she was short, that she walked with a bounce in her step that spoke to her excitement. But he didn't remember what colour her eyes were. And suddenly, that was the most important thing in the world. Becca. The gown was lovely. Becca smoothed it over her hips, the jaunty little ruffles running down the skirt refusing to settle. It was sleeveless, made of a few layers of material, the top layer being a thin, gauzy fabric she suspected was tulle. There was a benefit to reading a lot of historical romances. You suddenly knew many more words for fabric and dress styles. It was a soft lavender, with a few fabric flowers scattered on the bodice, and then more generously on the skirt. If she had seen it in a magazine, she would have thought it was too precious. But in real life, it made her look like a princess en route to find her prince charming. She raised her arms to undo her ponytail, shaking her hair out so it settled on her shoulders. Goodness. She looked entirely different from the American royals enthusiast who'd walked into that pub. She couldn't wait for Mac to see her in this. Oh my, the older saleswoman said, as Becca stepped out of the room. She looked nearly as surprised as Becca was by the transformation. Becca smiled at the woman, but her gaze quickly went to Mac, who was sitting in a chair at the far end of the shop. His eyes widened as he looked at her, and she could have sworn he licked his lips. It felt as though she were drowning in his eyes. Lake blue eyes. So yes, drowning would be entirely appropriate. Brown he said, as though answering a question. You look lovely, Rebecca, he continued, rising slowly from the chair. He stepped forward, holding his hand out. She took it, and he drew her into his arms, 
beginning to move them together in a tiny, shop-inhibited waltz. Are you really attending the wedding? The younger saleswoman asked. Her tone was soft, her expression dreamy. Becca smiled up at Mac, who was still leading her in the dance. Mm-hmm, he said, without taking his eyes off Becca. You two make a lovely couple. The woman sighed. We do, don't we? Becca thought. We have a few more gowns for you to try, the first saleswoman said. Unless you've decided? No, we haven't decided. Mac answered, stopping his movement and tearing his eyes away from Becca. He nudged her back toward the dressing room. Go, try and rest, my lady. I want to see you in everything. Her breath whooshed right out of her at his intensity. I want to see you in everything. Which could have just as easily been, I want to see you in nothing. It was a tempting thought. But she probably shouldn't get arrested for indecent exposure while in London. Was that a law here? She should probably research that, if she was going to continue to have these kinds of thoughts around him. She chuckled to herself as she walked back into the dressing room. The next gown was less fantastical, but it clung to her curves more, and she gawked at her reflection in the mirror. She hadn't known she could look like that. Her usual day-to-day clothing could best be described as quirky. She was not accustomed to seeing her own shape. It wasn't that bad. In fact, she looked pretty damn good. The dress was made of a dark blue satin with tight-fitted sleeves and a hem that flowed out at the bottom after skimming her body. Becca almost looked tall in this gown, and she wasn't even wearing heels. But somehow, the cut and colour of it made her look nearly five foot six, a height to which she'd long aspired. She walked out of the dressing room toward Mac, her stride confident. She felt undeniably sexy. Mac. Mac hadn't retaken his seat after she'd gone back into the dressing room. He felt too restless, almost unsettled. What was happening today? He hadn't expected more than a couple hours' diversion, and yet here he was in an exclusive shop on Bond Street, watching a woman he'd met that morning try on evening gowns. His friends would howl if they knew what he was doing. But he wasn't howling, far from it. He had to check that his mouth hadn't dropped open too far as she walked toward him in some sort of blue, silky-looking dress. The first gown had made her look like a princess from a fairy tale, but this one made her look as though she were a goddess emerging from his fantasies. Her shape was perfect, and he could just imagine how she'd feel in his arms. Do you like it? She asked, her sly smile showing she knew that he did. Very much so. He reached out and touched her arm, his fingertip sliding down the smooth fabric. Becca. Becca liked how he was looking at her, and she half expected him to take her in his arms again and do that waltzing thing. It almost looked as though he wanted to kiss her too. Go change, he said abruptly, making her startle. Huh? She wanted to spend just a bit more time in this fantasy, wearing this dress that made his eyes get dark and intense, made him bite his lip. She spun around, making sure to walk back to the dressing room with that same confident stride, adding a bit of a hip wiggle into her gait. And she could have sworn she heard him draw his breath in as she did. Good. I'm not the only one who's affected by today. Becca pulled on her souvenir sweatshirt, but she had to admit, it wasn't quite as elegant as the two gowns she'd tried on, which is to say, not elegant at all. Thank you, she told the sales ladies, resisting the urge to explain why she couldn't purchase anything. Here, Max said, plucking something off a display near the register. For tomorrow. He winked at Becca as he put something in her hand. Gloves, 
she asked, as she began to draw one onto her hand. They're not just gloves, one of the saleswomen said. They're gloves made by the glove makers to the queen. The gloves were satin and slid onto her hands smoothly, like a glove, she thought. They were a dusky purple with tiny pearl buttons on the inside wrists. Becca already loved them more than her much maligned sweatshirt. Let me get them for you, for tomorrow. Mac withdrew his wallet and slapped his credit card down on the counter before she could object. Granted, she didn't really want to object, so perhaps she was not as quick to protest as propriety might demand. One of the ladies processed the transaction, both of the women darting a few knowing looks toward Mac. It's not what you think, ladies. That she'd actually be wearing them in the street with thousands of other spectators only made it more fun. She did a practice wave, like the queen would, then slid the gloves off her hands and into the box lined with tissue paper the sales lady had placed on the counter. You don't want to wear them? Mac asked. They go with your outfit so well, he continued with a grin. I don't want to risk them getting dirty, Becca replied in a deliberately pert tone of voice. Otherwise, I would absolutely be wearing them since they do go with my outfit. The sales ladies chuckled as one of them slid the box into an elegant cloth bag. So posh, Becca thought delightedly. She held the bag with the gloves tightly, as Mac opened the door and let her step out ahead of him. She stood on the sidewalk, tilting her face up to the sky. It was raining lightly, but at this moment, she felt like nothing could dampen <laughs> her joy. Wait a moment, I forgot my receipt, he said. I'll be right back, wait here. He stepped into the shop, and she looked up and down the sidewalk, an enormous I'm a happy tourist grin on her face. There were tons of people on the road, and she darted backward and forward to avoid collisions, until a woman with red curls spilling out from a ponytail high up on her head barreled full force into her. I'm so sorry, the woman said. This is crazy, right? She spoke in an American accent. Crazy? And pretty much the most romantic thing ever. Becca gripped the stranger by the arms. Because they weren't strangers, were they? They were all here sharing this wonderful experience. It's just, you know, when the real world doesn't deliver, it's nice to have something like this to remind you that love is what's important. It would be totally weird to spin this woman into a twirl, even though she really wanted to. We're all coming together, and it doesn't matter. Not the color of Meredith's skin or who Richard's parents are. They just really love each other and want to be together. What's better than that? The woman stared at her, her expression frozen. And then Becca saw Mac emerge from the shop. And by the time she looked back, the woman was gone. Here, he said, handing her the receipt which she popped into the bag. She hadn't noticed before but the bag said Bumble Shins, and she started to giggle. That's a ridiculous name for such an elegant shop, she explained as he looked at her questioningly. Sometimes the most lovely things are in disguise, he said, giving a pointed look at her sweatshirt. She shook her head as she took his arm. You are ridiculous too, she replied. And now I really have taken up too much of your time, she added in a reluctant tone. Don't you have another place you can show me? He asked. Oh, she said, her breath catching. He was feeling it too. She knew just where she would take him. Becca glanced up from her phone at the scenery, biting her lip as they came closer to Kensington Gardens. As lovely as she'd seen in the guidebooks, but of course even more so, since she was actually here, and with a handsome gentleman on her arm. Just like Meredith and Richard. Only Mac was handsomer than Meredith's prince. Meredith. She suddenly remembered the two men from Piccadilly Circus. I wonder if Meredith went to find her ex. 
I forget his name, but she was married before you know. I saw some pictures that he'd been spotted here, but I hadn't put the two things together until now. Gosh, what if he's here to try to win her back? It was starting to rain, and Becca wiped some drops from her face as she stared up into Mac's face. That would suit your romantic notion, wouldn't it? He asked as he smiled down at her. It would not, she said firmly, because what Meredith and Richard have is true love. It'd be far more romantic if her ex was here to support her. That she was married before has been a great scandal over here. His tone made it clear he found this ridiculous, something that made her like him even more. If, as you say, it's true love, there'd be no reason for her to run off unless she's totally worn down by the paparazzi and the tabloids, which I wouldn't blame her for. It sounded as though he'd had direct experience with that, and it was on the tip of her tongue to ask about it. But he continued talking. And if her ex is trying to win her back, I think he's fighting a losing battle. People can be idiots, he added with a roll of his eyes. Is that why you're so skeptical about true love? Because people are idiots? She asked. She really wanted to hear his answer, but she also didn't. What if she hadn't changed his mind at all? What if he was just as cynical about the whole true love thing as he had been that morning? I suppose I, I can see why a couple in love would go through all that folderol. Folderol? She repeated, laughing. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that word aloud. You are a find Mac. She'd have to amend her description of him from very handsome man in a pub to very handsome man in a pub who uses arcane words. You're a find too, Rebecca, he said in a quiet voice. Did her heart actually flutter? Or did it just feel as though it had? She didn't reply but she let herself ease closer to him, so her shoulder was right up against his arm. He took her hand, the one that was draped through his arm, with his other hand, and she rested her head against him as they continued to walk. And then they were there. Mac glanced around them at the branches and leaves covering the trellis, tilting his head in confusion. A garden in the rain? But he wasn't glowering, Instead, his expression was open, curious, interested. Right here is where Prince Richard proposed to Meredith, Becker explained. From what I've read, it was right in the middle of the walkway. This is called a lover's arch, she said, pointing above them, where either side of the greenery met overhead. It's such a perfect place to propose, she continued. The sunlight filtering through the leaves... If it weren't raining, he said pointedly. She stuck her tongue out at him, and he laughed. That feeling, though, as if we're the only two people in the world. I mean, as though Meredith and Richard were the only two people in the world, she amended. The timeline I read said he proposed here, and then the next day they came out to the gardens over there to take the engagement pictures. She wore a cream-colored dress which looked gorgeous against the flowers. She looked back at him to see him squinting at her. What? she asked. He gestured to her sweatshirt. Hmm, your sweatshirt might not be quite as photogenic. She tapped her index finger on her cheek with a confused expression. I'm not sure you've been clear enough. Are you saying you don't like my sweatshirt? He nodded, a grin twisting his lips. I am. She swatted him on the arm. That is exactly why I like it. It's exuberant. It says what it feels and it cannot be ignored. Like you, he murmured. Oh. She looked up at him, taking a deep breath as she met his intent gaze. As though he was studying her, only not in a scientific way in a magical way. The rain had intensified, but she didn't have the slightest desire to escape it. 
It felt as though the sky were pouring out its emotions, just like she was. Can I kiss you, Rebecca? He asked, as he placed his thumb on her jaw, stroking her skin. And not as a pretend fiancé. For real. Mm-hmm, she replied, sliding her hands up his arms to his shoulders, wrapping her fingers into his hair to tug his face down to hers. Their lips met softly, and for a moment, that was all it was. A gentle kiss that nonetheless felt as though fireworks were exploding inside her. And then his lips pressed on hers more insistently. She opened her mouth, and he nibbled on her lower lip, then slowly slid his tongue inside her mouth. He had hold of her waist, and he drew her closer to him, and she rose up on her tippy-toes to kiss him back, her tongue dancing with his, the rain a steady accompaniment to her heartbeat. His beard rubbed her face, scratching it softly, but she didn't care. She could tell he was holding himself back as the kiss continued. She appreciated his thoughtfulness, even as she regretted that she wasn't the kind of person who could have a one-night stand with a total stranger and feel good about it the next day. Or, rather, she knew that she would feel good about it the next day, but she'd also want the moment to last forever. And the whole day had been predicated on it being just a moment in time between them, nothing promised or guaranteed. It felt as though time stood still as they kissed, but also as though it were over as soon as it began. And then he was drawing back from her, that intense gaze still in his eyes, his chest visibly rising and falling. He held her still at the waist, and she bit her lip to stop from flinging herself back into his arms. It would only prolong the separation, and that moment had been just about perfect. So what else did she want? Thank you again for a wonderful day. He spoke softly, so soft, it was almost a whisper, meant for her ears only. Thank you. It was so much better with someone else. With you, she corrected. Think of me tomorrow when you're avoiding all the wedding folderol? She smiled and shifted a little, so she was out of the circle of his arms. I will, he said, giving a solemn nod. Maybe watch some of it, she added, giving him a sly look. Maybe I'll allow myself to indulge in some of the folderol, he agreed, his answering grin making her insides tumble. Do you want me to walk you back to the hotel? No, she said shaking her head and brushing her wet hair out of her eyes. She wanted to preserve this moment. It's so close to here, and I want... I want this to be the end of our adventure. She leaned up and kissed his cheek, which was wet from the rain. He hesitated, as if to disagree. She saw him swallow. Goodbye, Rebecca. Goodbye, Mac. She turned, wrapping her arms around herself to keep from shaking. She didn't want him to see how profoundly he'd affected her. It wouldn't be fair to saddle him with all of her romantic emotions. He had been very clear about it, though that he'd conceded as much as he had was an indication that she'd had some effect on him too. If anyone asked her how she'd made it back to her hotel without tripping or twirling, she wouldn't have been able to answer. Just that she was standing dripping wet in front of the hound, in the same spot as this morning. Only now, she was entirely different. It was only after she was safely inside her hotel room that she allowed herself to feel all the emotions she'd held back when she'd left Mac in the garden. She wasn't sad. Instead, she felt a tumult of feelings, ranging from joy to excitement to tenderness to heartache. She smiled down at her sweatshirt and began to twirl. Mess. Becca froze mid-twirl at the knock on the door, as if the person speaking could see her. She peered through the peephole 
to see the bartender from downstairs. He seemed to be holding something. Hold on, she said as she opened the door. He held a package out to her. This came and I didn't want you to wait for it for too long. He nodded toward the window. The rain's easing up. It shall be clear for the wedding tomorrow. Becca took the box he held. It was surprisingly heavy, but it would be surprisingly anything because it wasn't expected at all. Thank you, she said as she placed the box on the bed. You're welcome, he said with a knowing smile. She turned to regard the package warily. Bumble shins. She froze, blinking in confusion. Had she accidentally shown them her credit card, and they'd thought she wanted something? No, of course she hadn't. Unless they had credit telepathy or something, and she didn't think they did. There was only one way to find out. She drew off the lid to the box, holding her breath as she undid the tissue paper. And inside, carefully folded, was not only the first floaty lavender gown she'd tried on, but also the blue satin gown. The one that had made her feel like a princess, and the one that had made her feel like a confident, sensual goddess. There was an envelope addressed to Rebecca on top of the gown, and she picked it up, opening it with shaky fingers. It was obviously very fancy paper, cream-colored and heavy, but the writing was anything but fancy. It was a scrawl, as though the person writing it had been in a hurry or in the throes of some vast emotion. It read simply, Princess or Goddess, be ready by 9 a.m. tomorrow. She stared at the paper, trying to pass what she was reading. Was this a joke? Were the Bumbleshins ladies playing a prank on her? Was Mac playing a prank on her? But why would any of them do that? Who was Mac? She realized all she knew about him was that he drank beer in the morning, was skeptical about love, and was a good kisser. She dropped the paper back down on the gowns and nodded in resolution. She didn't know which gown she would end up choosing or what tomorrow would hold, but she was damned well going to be ready. You're listening to Royally Yours by Megan Frampton, starring Lorna Bennett and Gary Furlong. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm, listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Royally Yours is created by Megan Frampton and written by Megan Frampton, K.M. Jackson, Falguni Kothari, Liz Maverick, and Kat McMurray. It is produced by Lydia Shama and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith.